0: Let me just give us a a quick introduction to where we are in Habakkuk. I know not all of us have been with us for the whole of the series. We've been looking at this prophet from God who is uh, in a time in in redemption history where he's seen the the highs of God's people. He's seen uh, King Josiah rule and reign over Judah. And he's seen Josiah really rule in a way that has brought life and vibrancy and has really held God's word as the ultimate authority over God's people and people have submitted to it willingly joyfully and they've been walking in righteousness walking in the ways of God he's seen those days Judah almost at its best and then Habakkuk as we've seen over the last few weeks and months has seen Judah at its worst. Josiah dies and the kings who come after him lead Judah in ways of idolatry ways of sin ways of rebellion and righteousness and Habakkuk comes and cries out to God and says God Are you going to do something about this? I mean, here, don't we? There is silence, but then God comes into the silence and says, I'm going to act. I will act. God can't stand idly against sin and unrighteousness. He always. Moves against it in one way or another he will always deal with injustice sin and unrighteousness and that's what he does he says I'm going to raise up the Babylonians and they're going to come and take you away into exile that's how I'm going to execute my judgments and Habakkuk is like okay but but maybe maybe not that far like I want you to do something but that that seems a little bit heavy and God says no it is coming but here is the hope as you are feeling just the weight of exile, as you are sitting under the heavy hand of Babylon, hold on to this hope that the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live. They will almost and and inevitably be able to flourish in the midst of suffering and pain and the weight of wicked men and women around, around them. And that faith comes from God. Righteousness comes from God as a gift from him. And now we find Habakkuk in this strange place. This place where he knows suffering is coming, exile is coming, but he also knows that, that God is going to preserve his people. God is going to protect his people. And there is kind of glimmers, we haven't touched on this, but there are glimmers within the book of Habakkuk of, of a future uh, salvation that God is going to bring, an ultimate salvation at the end of all time. Where he will gather his people to himself but he finds himself in this time of limbo let's call it that he's feeling the weight of wickedness around him he's feeling the tension of wickedness around him but he knows the help is coming and in the same way we live in a similar time folks we are believers this morning and then we live, don't we? And we all feel this. We live under the reality of the pain and suffering that comes with just the brokenness of the world around us. We live under the reality of still contending with sin. Or even though we know that Jesus is victorious over our sin and has dealt with the penalty of our sin, we still just wrestle against the flesh, don't we? We feel that. And we sit in this tension of almost just being in the middle of, of standing in the victory, but waiting for the final victory to come where we know Jesus will come and bring an end to it all. It's a time where, if you look down at the passage this morning, we're in the, just the, the first couple of verses of chapter 3. It's a time that Habakkuk calls for him in the time that he's in, he says, in the midst of the years. And it's the same for us. We live in the midst of the years, in the midst of these kind of just two phases where Jesus has announced his victory and he is bringing his victory in all of its fullness in a time to come. So here's the question for us and here's the question for Habakkuk. As we sit in the tension of feeling the suffering and pain and, and just recognizing the weight of wicked men and women and the, the wrestle that we have with sin in our own hearts, how do we live in that tension? How do we live in the tension of knowing that Jesus is coming and he's going to bring an end to it all and still feeling the weight of pain that we feel now? How do we live in the midst of the years, as Habakkuk will call them? Well, let's read the passage this morning, and hopefully God by his spirit will reveal that to us. Habakkuk chapter three, verse one. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. According to Shaganoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I don't know whether last week, uh, last Saturday, you saw um, some of the news that came out of the the Euros, so this is a miserable time of year for some people who don't like football, for others who like football and support England, it's also a miserable time of the year because we're absolutely <laughs> boring at the moment, but last Saturday there's been some interesting stories that have come out of the Euros and there was a, a really um, just heartbreaking story that came out last Saturday of Christian Eriksen who plays for uh, Denmark who collapsed on the pitch just a few minutes before half-time, I don't know whether you saw that. In, in the media in the following days, um, suffered a cardiac arrest and there were some incredible scenes of, of the players rushing to his help, the referee coming to his help and then the, the medics running onto the field and uh, listening to some of the reports uh, afterwards, they're truly harrowing. The, um, the head doctor for Denmark said this, that, that he had essentially died on the pitch, he was dead. For 10 seconds, he said, Ericsson was dead on the pitch, and he was gone. It's interesting, in light of that, across my social media, and I'm sure others, if you follow football, there's been a bit of a, uh, just a push for people to, to remember, just the rules around CPR, and how we would help someone if they've had a cardiac arrest, how we would uh, revive someone if we found someone in, in that kind of situation. But also, this week, as we've watched some of the other matches afterwards, there have been incredible scenes of just fans uniting together. Have you seen any of it? Just fans supporting and just showing their love and their affection and trying to encourage uh, Christian Eriksen as he's now out of hospital now, but really just uh, uh, lifting him up and, and coming together as one. And we've kind of seen uh, just the, the, the dark reality of the human condition, him experiencing uh, close to death, but also just the awe of someone being brought to life and everything that comes with it, and people being able to celebrate that and, and to be united together as they see a dead man brought to life. Folks, I have a question for us this morning. Where is our awe at the miracle of life in which we stand because of the gospel? Where is our awe Where is our wonder as we contemplate on the, the mercy of God, which is ours? Let me read verse 2 to us again. Oh, Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh, Lord, do I fear. The NIV, I've written it down on your service sheets, just interpret it a little bit differently. It says this, Lord, I have heard of your fame. And I stand in awe of your deeds. And what are the deeds that Habakkuk is talking about here? Well, if you look at the end of the passage we read this morning, it's this. That God in his wrath would remember mercy. Lord, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of you being a God who in wrath remembers mercy now all the kind of preaching handbooks and uh, sermon handbooks would say don't climax too early don't peek too early with the gospel but we're doing it this morning i just want to remind us right at the start of the mercy that we have received as sons and daughters of the living god have a quick says, in in wrath, remember mercy. He says, I remember your deeds. I can think back on how you show mercy to your people. And he's thinking back to, to how God has acted through the ages towards his people, constantly showing mercy to them. When they are walking in sin and idolatry and walking away from God, God constantly pursuing his people and showing mercy. We heard it this morning. Every morning. New mercies every morning, faithful to constantly show his people mercy. And Habakkuk is saying, I'm looking back and seeing how you've dealt with your people, how you've constantly, day after day, pursued them. And even in their sin, you've constantly showed them mercy. And he's saying, I stand in awe. I'm in awe of that God. And folks, Habakkuk stands 600 years before the greatest act of mercy this universe has ever seen, doesn't he? cross of jesus christ where wrath and mercy meet as we come in a few moments time and we sit around this table and we take and eat of this bread and this wine as we we come there i want us to find ourselves in the same position of standing in awe of god because of his mercy. we don't deserve to be here folks we don't deserve to be To be sitting with the name of son and daughter written over us. We don't deserve to be sitting here this morning as those in whom God delights in. We don't deserve to be those sitting here this morning who do not have a drop of wrath, a drop of judgment, a drop of punishment from God coming towards us, even though that is what we deserve, isn't it? We know we're sinners. We know even this morning that we have walked in rebellion to God. We know that we don't deserve anything from God. And yet in his mercy, he gives us everything good that he has got. He gives us all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his steadfast, loving kindness, morning after morning. And he knows how rebellious we're going to be today when we put our heads on the pillow. And yet tomorrow morning when we wake up, it's there. New mercy for you, son. New mercy for you, daughter. Why? Because of the cross, because of all that Jesus has done for us, because Jesus came as the sinless servant and he lived as a sinless one with all of the brokenness around us, with with all of the temptation around us and yet without sin. And in love for us, he walked towards the cross. And he who knew no sin became sin for you and I. And he suffered and he bled and he died on a cross and he was flogged and he was beaten and he was falsely accused. And he died on a cross for you and I and rose from the grave three days later so that we could sit here with the promise of eternal life. So that we could sit here with all of the inheritance that comes of being children of God. So that we could sit here Safe and assured and comfortable in the knowledge that there is no wrath, there is no judgment, there is no punishment. Punishment—it's all been poured out already on Jesus. Yeah. Habakkuk just had a glimpse of the mercy of God as he looked back, folks. We, as we look at the cross, see the mercy of God in full HD, don't we? Let may ask us that question again. Where is our awe? As we stand in this miracle of life, as we are marked by the gospel, as we receive the mercy of God, where is our awe? I think maybe the passage kind of helps us to show maybe why we struggle with this, why we struggle to see and just to stand in the reality of all that God has done through us, had gone, uh, done for us through His Son Jesus. I think maybe the first thing is just sometimes we get overwhelmed in the struggle that we are in. Now, there's no denying that Habakkuk was in a difficult moment. He's literally on the brink of seeing the nation being taken away and and suffering under the most barbaric rulers that have ever walked the face of the earth. He is in the midst of struggle. He is in the midst of pain. But I wonder, and maybe if you've not been with us for the last few weeks, you might not maybe appreciate this, but if you have been with us as we've gone through Habakkuk, it feels almost like it's a different person writing that. Habakkuk 's countenance has changed in Chapter Three. In fact, some of the, the commentators who, who write uh, uh, their opinions on Habakkuk Habakkuk are, are saying the jury 's out as to whether this is actually Habakkuk speak, speaking because it feels so different to how he 's spoken before like he 's been agitated before he 's been frustrated. With God before, he's been angry at God before and his countenance as he comes. And we'll, we'll find this even more next week as we read through the rest of this prayer from Habakkuk. It seems like a different man. Something has changed within Habakkuk. And I think we see it and maybe we saw a glimpse of it last week. If you turn back to verse 20 of chapter 2. God ends his last response to Habakkuk with this. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God ends with giving Habakkuk a vision of him in the throne room. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the throne room. And God comes and and says to Habakkuk, you just need to be quiet. See me, have a vision for me. That's where we left things last week. Have a vision of God in his throne room. See me. And Allow that vision to bring you to a place of quiet. God is speaking to Habakkuk, I think, like a father would speak to an agitated child. Like, have you seen, ever seen um, like a, a young baby with a desperate uh, father who's trying to, the baby's wailing and crying, and, the, and the, the father's kind of rocking it, trying to get it down? Like, this was Micah for us for, for 18 months. Like, he just cried all night and literally. Isn't this true, Elizabeth? I was kind of rocking him like this, trying to get him to sleep, like doing my best to get him down. It's probably the only time I've ever had a bicep on my right arm. Like I was just going for it and, and just trying to settle him and, and doing all the all, just shh, 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 come on, just trying to settle him down. And he was just so agitated. But as he began just to hear my words and just feel the, the embrace of me on him, it settled him and it silenced him. I wonder if that's what God's doing to Habakkuk. In the midst of the struggle he finds himself, in the midst of the pain that he finds himself, in the midst of a prospect of an uncertain future like a a father would to his child, he's saying, it's okay, son. It's okay, daughter. Just remember who I am. And I know because I know I know all of us this morning, I know that there are things in our lives where there is pain and there is suffering. And we've heard that this is Father's Day today. I want us to look to the greatest Father and I want you to hear his words. It's okay, daughter. Where there is something that we desperately need and we're like, Father, we we just need this thing. And I think you understand, if, if just I had this thing in my life and he's saying, shh. We just want to take hold of of this thing, which we really know is bad for us, but but it just makes us feel good in the moment. And we just want to take hold of just just this last time. of God saying, no, 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 I'm enough. That's all right, daughter. I think oftentimes we get overwhelmed in the struggle, so much so that we get distracted from the mercy in which we stand. And we just need to hear those words from God. Psalm 46. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I know it's painful. Be still and know that I am God. I want us to do that for a moment, folks, before we move on. Here's what I want to bring us to this morning. You'll see the title on your sheets this morning Mercy Revival. That's what I want for all of us this morning, that we would have a revival in our hearts of the mercy of God. That we would be able to come like Habakkuk again and stand in front of the gospel and be in awe of what he's done. But I know that the struggle distracts us from that. So just for a moment, I want us to quiet our hearts and remember the mercy of God. And I'll pray for us and ask God by his spirit to revive that mercy in us again, revive that awareness of the mercy of God in the midst of the struggle. So let's just take a moment, folks, just maybe bow our heads and just take a moment in quiet. Father, there is so much struggle here this morning. You know that. We want to see you. We want to see the mercy in which we stand. So help us. We don't want to forget the struggle. We, we, We don't want to run away from it even. We just want to know you. So help us by your spirit to see you clearly, to see the gospel clearly this morning. See the reality that we are sinners, saved by grace, standing in the mercy of a loving God. Amen. Where is our awe when we realise the mercy in which we stand? Well, I think sometimes we get overwhelmed in the struggle and distracted from mercy, uh, from the mercy. And secondly, I think sometimes, folks, if we're honest, we get comfortable, comfortable being in a foreign land. C.S. Lewis um, I realised, Jason, last time you were here, I said a C.S. Lewis quote. It's only when you're here, just, just so you're, um, to put you at rest. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, this is one of my favourite quotes of his, says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition and we can just fill in the blanks for whatever idol it is. We went there last week, didn't we? Fooling around with idols when infinite joys offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because they cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Maybe we're not awed by the mercy God shows us because we're already happy with what we've got. We just become so comfortable with the foreign land which we live in, and lots of Habakkuk's compatriots will have that same experience as they are taken into exile into Babylon. God, God's warned them already. He says, "Don't, don't kind of uh, do the things that they're doing. Don't engage in their practices. Don't even intermarry with them. Like, just stay who you are. Be distinct. Look like you are foreigners in a foreign land." But actually, lots of the people who who live within Judah, become so happy with Babylon. Babylon becomes their mud pies. I wonder, maybe for some of us, this world has become the mud pie for us. We just become so comfortable and overawed with what this world offers us. And we've forgotten the true beauty and glory that comes in the gospel in which we stand. So I want us to pause again for a moment, folks. And in this quest for a mercy revival, to remember the mercy within which we stand, I want us just to have a moment of confession and repentance. If there are areas in our heart where we are running after the things of this world and it's preventing us from seeing the true beauty of the mercy in which we stand, we need to confess and repent of that. And ask for the help of God for us to see him, to treasure him more than anything else. Let's just take another moment of quiet and then I'll lead us in prayer again. Father, we're sorry. We know that we have been given everything. And yet we become so infatuated with the things around us. So help us to see see your glory. Help us to see you rightly. To treasure you above everything else. So Father, we confess and repent where, where we're walking in rebellion, where we're walking in sin, where we're walking in idolatry. Help us by your Holy Spirit to walk in righteousness, to see ourselves as foreigners in, in a foreign land, as aliens, as exiles, as sojourners, people passing through, to enjoy the things around us, but not to make them gods. Help us to see the beauty of the mercy in which we stand and to be in awe of it. Revive that within us, we pray, Father, by the power of your spirit. Amen. I wonder if there are two reasons maybe the two main reasons why we're not in awe of the mercy in which we stand well let me come back to the original question i asked Is how does god want us to live in this tension that we live in feeling the brokenness and the weight of of wickedness around us knowing that a time is coming where god will relieve us from it all but just feeling the weight of it now how do we live well in this moment now in the midst of the years as habakkuk would call it well, I think this is what the passage leads us to see. That God has not just given us mercy to stand in. He He's given us mercy to share. I think that's what it looks like for, for Judah in exile. Not just to be people who have a, a mercy revival in their hearts, but to come to God and pray for a mercy revival in the land that they are in. If we remember the kind of the, 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 uh, uh, just major passage within Habakkuk, the church planters' favorite passage, Habakkuk and 4, the, the mission of God, that the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. We've looked at that already, and we've talked about how God will do that. How will the glory of God reach all the way across the globe? And when we're talking about the glory of God, the knowledge of the glory of God, we're talking about the gospel, right? We know that. How is that going to come about through you and I, through the church. That is how God's glory will extend, by you and I passing it on. And I think it's the same for Habakkuk in his day as well. You'll see right at the top of chapter three, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigenoth. Anyone ever heard of that word before? No, and we'll never hear it again. But apparently it is a musical term. You'll see right at the end of the chapter, if you scroll down, there's some instructions there to the choir master with stringed, instruments the uh, the shaganoff was a a poem or a song and uh, it is thought to be a song that had an upbeat uh, rhythm to not like a minor key like this was a a a happy (laughs) song like it's a a major key is that right is that where a happy song is Yeah, we'll go with that. A major key song. It's an upbeat song. And Habakkuk is is singing this. He's, He's recounting this promise. And this is for God's people. They would have sung this as the terror of Babylon approached. They would have sung this as they were under oppression, under Babylon. Their song, folks, as they were in the midst of a foreign land, a people who hated God, their song was a song of mercy. And not just mercy for themselves, not just God has shown us mercy. It was a song of mercy extended. Let me read it again. I've heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear there's havoc extending in all. And then he says this, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. They are going to be in exile in Babylon. That is God's judgment towards them. And it's God's discipline to those who are righteous. We've talked about that already. And Habakkuk is singing Habakkuk is saying in the midst of that time, in the midst of the foreign land, revive your mercy, reveal your mercy. That's what he wants. And actually that is the pattern that you see all the way through scripture, this constant pattern of sin, judgment, mercy, salvation. Right from the start, sin, judgment, mercy, salvation over and over and over again. And Habakkuk looks back and he sees it and he's in awe of it and he says, God, do it again. Show your mercy again, reveal it again, revive it again. Do it in the midst of Judah again. But I also think he's saying, do it in the midst of Babylon. Bring about your mercy and a a revival of it in our hearts. Yes, God, we're also in this. And remember who Babylon are, God's enemies. This vicious and cruel nation who bring about terror. Judah were bad, but Babylon were on another level i believe that habakkuk is praying the same for them i believe it because jeremiah who is one of the prophets who goes into exile he he gives this command out he says seek the welfare of the city this is from god seek the welfare of the city where i've sent you into as exiles and pray to the lord on its behalf wow so how do we live in this tension in this moment of waiting for, for, for the full uh, uh, um, um, salvation as we, as we uh, uh, go to be with God and he brings all things together and he finishes it all off on that day? How do we live in this tension now? Well, I believe we do the same. We have this mercy song. God, revive mercy in our hearts, but also bring it about in our cities, in our towns. In every nation across this world, until your glory covers this world, until the knowledge of your glory covers this world like the waters cover the sea. Let's not be fooled, folks. God's mercy is for sinners. And that is not a certain type of sinner, it's not a middle class sinner, it's not a sinner who had a Christian background type of sinner. It's not a sinner who comes kind of clean type of sinner. It is sinners. The worst of sinners. You know, for, God's, for knowledge of God's glory to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea, that means that the gospel has to go to places like Iran. It has to go to places like North Korea and bear fruit there. And it will. I love this from Micah chapter 7 verse 18. God delights in showing mercy. It's not like he's, he's looking at sinners across the world and thinking, wow, well, not again. I'm going to have to show mercy to that one. No, he delights in showing mercy. It pleases him to show mercy. He wants to show mercy. We're going to hear later in Ephesians 2, he's rich in mercy. He's got so much of his mercy to give. And folks, more than anything, our city, your city needs this, a mercy revival. They need the mercy of God and he is ready to give it. We need it in our hearts there's ignorance, blindness, apathy to the mercy of God. We need to wake up. We need to have a mercy revival. We need to be jolted awake by the Spirit of God this morning and see the mercy in which we stand. Our our city folks need mercy because they are dead. Spiritually dead. Habakkuk praise, and this praise says, God, make your mercy known. Reveal your mercy. In Babylon, make your mercy known. That is their song. That's the song that they go into exile singing. And I would say it should be our song as well. God, in Liverpool, make your mercy known. God, in my family, make your mercy known. God, in my workplace, make your mercy known. God, in this nation, more than anything, make your mercy known. That should be our song. That should be our Shaginoth. And God, in his infinite wisdom, uses you and I to answer that prayer, to reveal his mercy too. And so let let me close by putting some flesh on the bones. What will that look like? What will it look like for us to be people who have that song, whose song is a song of mercy? What will it look like for us to be people who, with the help of God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, are revealing the mercy of God with a great prayer of a mercy revival in our cities? Well, Romans chapter 12. Just turn with me for a couple of minutes. Most of us will know these verses. Romans chapter 12 Paul is coming to the climax of him uh, just really unfolding what the gospel is uh, to those that he's writing to and he comes to this climax point in Romans 12 verse 1 he says "I, I appeal to you therefore brothers and sisters by the mercies of God some of the translations say in view of the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship What does it look like for us, people who have had a mercy revival in our hearts to then share that mercy with others? What does it look like for us to be recipients of the mercy of of God and then live in the tension, live in the midst of the years while Paul says, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what we do. And then he goes on in the rest of chapter 12. Don't worry, we're not going to do it, but there are 24 um, imperatives there. 24 ways that Paul says, okay, and this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to live as people who have a clear view of the mercy of God and then to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is what it's going to look like. And I'm just going to list a few of them out to us. And I want you just to, as, as I speak them, just listen and think, is, is that for me? Is that what I need to do tomorrow? Is that what this is going to look like for me this week? Is this what living as one who has received mercy is going to look like for me? Is this something that I need the help of God to do? And as we listen, folks, listen how countercultural this type of living is. We see in verse 8, Paul encourages those who've received God's mercy to show mercy to others with cheerfulness. In verse 9, he says... Those who who live in view of God's mercy, well, their love should be genuine. Verse 13, those who live in view of God's mercy should give to the saints. Verse 14, those who live in view of God's mercy should bless those who persecute them. In verse 15 those who live in view of God's mercy they should weep with those who weep folks that we need to get alongside someone who is grieving and suffering this week and show the mercy of God to them by just sitting with them in the struggle verse 16 those who live in view of God's mercy should associate with the lowly verse 17 those who live in view of God's mercy should repay no one for evil verse 19 they never avenge themselves verse 20 if their enemy is hungry those who live and view of god's mercy will feed them those who have had their hearts revived by mercy which we have already received in all of its fullness at the cross of jesus christ become merciful and it will look countercultural, cultural i believe it will lead others into the mercy that god god wants to give them and delights to give to sinners the exile that Judah are heading towards is not a place for them to hide, folks. It's a place for them to sing. It's the same for us. The time in which we live, the place in which we live, is not a place to hide. It is a place to sing. A place to sing of the Messies. Father we have received so much. Let me come honestly before you this morning and say that the gospel is the most glorious news that we have ever been told. Jesus you are the most glorious God. But so often we struggle. We feel overwhelmed in the struggle and just the uncertainty of the future, and so we get distracted. So often we fall in love with this world that you've told us just to pass through. So we're sorry, we need your help. Restore to us the joy of our salvation this morning, remind us of the mercy in which we stand. And help us to be people who sing the song of mercy. Not to crawl away in fear in this land that we live in, not just a, just to pine for, for uh, the new heaven and the new earth. As much as we want that and as much, Lord Jesus, we want you to come soon. Help us to live well now. To live in this moment as people of mercy. As people who live each day in view of the mercy that we have received and are merciful to others as we do. And as we do, Lord Jesus, we pray that you bring salvation. We pray that as people see us live different lives, that they would be compelled to ask about the hope that we have and that you would lead them towards seeing the mercy which you want to offer them. So help us that end, Lord Jesus, we pray. Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help. And so it's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen.